Oh, thank you. That was the warmest reception I've ever gotten here. So, yeah. Actually, what's, what's funny is I told them like a few weeks ago, uh, I think it was guest speaker or Alan or somebody got applauded. And I was like, man, I never get that. So, thanks, you. Appreciate that. I was just thinking, wow, right? I mean, what a change. Thursday, I'm driving home from work, and my, my car says 82 degrees. And then you come into this weekend, and even to this morning, it was like so cold. It actually was 33 on my vehicle uh, when driving here this morning. So you know what that says about you? Is that you are the faithful ones, right? I mean, you have every excuse this morning. It's cold, it's damp, it might get frozen, it's windy, and it's cold, and it's October. So we ain't going to church. It's like, no, 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 nothing will keep us away from the fellowship. And we will uh, be together and enjoy this time and allow God to move and speak. So just want to commend you on that and say thank you for your faithfulness. And just just a reminder, I know Alan hit a bunch of things earlier, but uh, our light the night is this Tuesday, our, our chance to be a light on a bright night, on a night that usually celebrates darkness and, and those kind of things. We're going to be the light of Christ to our community, and uh, we do that. We're going to move it inside because we know it's going to be cold. It sounds like it's going to be windy and cold that day. You didn't want your parking space decorations to blow you know, away, so um, it'll be inside the oak, but it's going to be really, really good. So um, it's never too late to be a part of this stuff. You know, uh, ICOM, Light the Night, all these things. Just remember, it's never too late. If you're like, oh, I haven't signed up. I've been hearing about it for two months, and yeah, I'm that guy. It's like, it's never too late. So, so be a part of that. Uh, see how you can get connected with those things in the app. We've been in a series, and we're going to end the series next week. Uh, we're in Chapter 3 of the book of Titus. So if you have your Bible, we'll invite you to turn there. If it doesn't automatically just open up there anyway, book of Titus, uh, Chapter 3. You're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 today. And just a reminder, or if you're new with us, that you can use your phone. Yes, the minister said, honey, that I can be on my phone during the sermon checking my lineup for fantasy football. No, um, in the app, the Oakwood app, not the ESPN fantasy football app, but the Oakwood app, and go to sermon notes, and all the scripture and all the bullet points and everything are there for you. We want you to engage the word of God this morning, Titus chapter 3. And just, just a little bit of a background. Again, the apostle Paul wrote this letter to Titus, thus the title. He is a, uh, a minister on the island of Crete to all of these churches that are growing, that are, but they're new, they're young, and they're, they're learning their way. And the apostle Paul wrote this letter. And, and, and if you've been reading it and studying it with us, you kind of know. He wrote this letter to them to kind of say, hey, let's run church God's way. Let's, let's, let's define the terms of what we say church is and what we say Christianity is. Let's do it God's way. Let's do what the Bible says we should do. And he writes this letter with all these reminders in it, and you're going to see that. Because remember, we're getting toward the end. So here in chapter 3, the third part, uh, you know, it's kind of like the last paragraph or so of the letter he wrote. Um, he's giving them some reminders, and he's telling them some things that are important for us for how to live as Christ's followers. So here we go, Titus chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It begins with, hey, Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone, not just to Christians, but to everyone. At one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. 
not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these, these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. To begin this morning, we need to do this. Remember that how you relate in the world, particularly with respect to those outside of the faith, we need to be mindful. We need to remember how we relate to the world, particularly with respect to those who are outside of the faith. Notice that this passage uh, here, I view this as kind of the closing paragraph of this letter to Titus. He says, hey, remind the people. Because they've either had it in the first two chapters of this letter, or they've heard it before maybe in the preaching or the, or the teaching there at Crete. And they're being reminded of these things. And it says to, notice at the end of verse 2, it says, hey, this is toward everyone. Toward even those who are outside of the faith. And maybe even more so for them. Remind these people. Why do you remind them? It's because they should already know this stuff. (laughs) Doesn't that define us as Christians sometimes? Hey, do you need to be reminded? I mean, you should already know this stuff, right? And then he goes on, he gives them this listing there. The first one is to be respectful of authority. Says they're to be subject to rulers and authorities. And, and what he's really referring there to is, is the respect for the governmental authorities, even when they're imperfect, even when you don't agree with them. Because sometimes you don't agree with the governmental authorities like 100% of the time, right? <laughs> but nonetheless, how we relate and how respectful we are to the authority in our lives is a testimony and an example to God. And it says here that we should, we should be honoring and respectful of those governmental authorities even when they're imperfect, even when we don't agree 100% of the time. And to that end, we should also obey the laws of the land even sometimes when they seem to be just a little bit unreasonable. We don't have any unreasonable rules here. I was thinking about this this week and I was like, you know, what's a good example of a time where things were a little unreasonable? Do you guys remember a thing happened three years ago? What was that called? COVID? COVID? Oh, oh yeah. Was there any unreasonable rules and regulations that came out of that? Like stay at home and you can't work unless you are a necessity to work. And a lot of us found out we weren't necessary (laughs) to operate the world. And you can leave your house only to go to the grocery store to get food to survive. Otherwise you stay home. You know, and, and, and the whole thing with what you wear, whether you wear a mask, you don't wear a mask. I mean, there was all these things that came out of that. And for some of us, we felt like, man, you know, those things here and there, but these, you know, this is unreasonable. But yet, as Christians, we have to be careful how we relate to those things. Now, there are times where the government may ask us to do something that is against Scripture. I mean, and it's black and white, it's, it's a definite violation, and that is our, our kind of our red line in the sand as Christians. It's like, hey, this is where it stops. I'm not going to do something that's against God's law, to obey the laws of the land. But sometimes, even if it seems a bit unreasonable, we're called by God to submit to the authorities that are there in our life. You know, sometimes the rules we come up with, uh, it seems we do that to protect 
us from ourselves. That's why a lot of times it's like put a helmet on. I'm going to make a confession to you as your pastor. Going way back in my life. I rode a bicycle for many years without a helmet. I'm just going to put it out there. I know some of you, I'm way down there on your list of people to respect now and admire, but I did. We didn't, we didn't wear helmets, you know. Only, only the goofy kids, you know, wore, wore a helmet. And you're like, what is that? Oh, it's a helmet. To protect your noggin from what? It's like, I ride my bike. I don't, like, hit my head off the side of my bike. But, you know, we make these rules and regulations. Why? To be safer, to extend life, and because we think it's a good idea. Now it's recommended. Maybe there's not a law about it. I think we still have people on motorcycles sometimes that, that aren't required to wear helmets. But, you know, it's like, okay, but, but to protect yourself, you know, it's reasonable to do that. But sometimes things seem unreasonable. You know, we had some friends uh, here in the church that uh, had their kids in car seats for a very long time. They had read something about uh, they had to be 100 pounds. I mean, their kid was like 12 years old, you know, was in a car seat. I mean, it just looked like a giant, you know, teenager, like in a car seat. And, and we felt like that's kind of, you know, is that... Oh, the law says, but is that, is that unreasonable? How do we relate to that? And then this summer, I was on vacation, and I saw this sign. I don't know if you've ever seen a sign like this, uh, five miles per hour. <laughs> and I, I thought it was a joke, so I'm in my Explorer. You can see the bug guts there on my windshield. That's right by the sign there. But I, I was like, no, five miles per hour. I've never seen a five. I mean, I've seen a 20 in a school zone. Yeah, we need to slow down. We need to be safe. You know, it, there's times where, yeah, you need to slow down, 15s, you know. But I've never seen a five. I thought a five's like, you know, a, a brisk walking pace. And so I was like, is this really real? No, it's really real. And, you know, we're, we're heading to the beach, and I didn't realize, you know, when you're on island time, that's what it means is you only go five. So three hours later, we got to the beach, and it was uh, closed because I obeyed the laws of the land, even though they were unreasonable. But sometimes I know there's rules and regulations. We can roll our eyes at them and go, come on, man, right? But at the same time, we need to be careful how we relate, and we're called in Scripture to be respectful of authority. And then again, right there at the very beginning of this passage, it's done it before in this book. It's going to do it again toward the end of the passage today. It's going to do it again next week as we close this series. It's just a command to do whatever is good, to do whatever is good. It's this theme throughout Titus, like, hey, Christians, do the right thing. Just, just do, do the right thing. Do what is good. Romans chapter 16, verses 19 and 20 says this, Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Later in Revelation Chapter 12, verse 11, it talks about how, how we, are, we are able to do good and be good, and we are saved by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, it says there, that we can actually be a people that actually do the right thing. And sometimes I think about that as, as Christ followers. I'm like, why is this so hard for us to just do the right thing, to do the good thing? And categorically, as we go through all of the things that are shared, even just today, it's like, just do the good thing. Like, do the next right thing. The next thing, gets specific here again, he's, and he says to uh, Titus here, he says, hey, make sure they do not slander. Make sure they do not slander as they're relating to the world. Reminded me of the, the story of the small group. Uh, we, we call them growth groups here 
at, at Oakwood, uh, but there was a small group that was meeting for the first time, and the people were gathering and getting to know each other. And the leader that week said, hey, you know, we're getting to know each other, you know. It's like, I just, just kind of want to be, be transparent here and just kind of open, like, what are you struggling with? You know, in regards to your faith, in regards to, to your Christian walk and your relationship with Jesus Christ, you know, what are some things maybe you're struggling with and you can pray for each other? And one of the guys went first. He said, man, I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. He goes, I'm, I'm super impatient with my, my wife and my, my kids. And I really, I really wish I could just be more of a patient person. I'm just, I'm just, I'm really, I'm just very impatient. And, and the group's like, man, you know, a couple people are like, yeah, I can can kind of relate to that. And then the, this, this next lady went, and she said, you know, I'm really struggling with envy. You know, I compare my car and my house and my stuff and my kids and all of this to my neighbor and the people at school, and I just really struggle with envy. It almost borderlines on greed a little bit. I find that uh, I just can't be satisfied. I, I just have this comparison trap that I'm into, and those several people, you know, could, re- could relate to that. And, Kind of went around the circle, got to another guy, and he's like, man, I'll just, I'll just be honest with you, I'm, I struggle with, with lust, you know? I mean, I love my wife, but there's just some times where I just, I just struggle with lust, and, you know, and, and, and just being transparent here, I just would, would ask for your prayers, that God would help deliver me out of that. And then it went to the next person in the group, and it was this lady, and she said, you know, the deal is, is that I really have been struggling with gossip, and I am loving this group. That was a joke. That didn't really happen. That didn't really happen. That was a, a joke, 100%. But it does say here in the text, and a lot of times we put those two things together, right? Gossip and slander. Gossip is talking about someone behind their back, unbeknownst to them. And slander is talking bad and trying to put people in a bad light to slander their name, to diminish their, maybe it's their standing in the community, community or their authority or their, just their reputation. The slander is talking bad about people behind their back. And here it says that as Christians, we're to not do that. Have we heard this before? Even in this book, chapter 2, verse 3, do you remember what it said? It said, teach the older women not to be slanderers. And again, this has to do with our talk. Don't talk bad about people behind their backs, your ex, your coworker, whoever it is. Do not slander. And then he ends the, in, in verse 1 here with, hey, be peaceable, or in the end of verse 2 here, to be peaceable and considerate and gentle. And it says to do those things toward everyone, even those that are outside of the body of Christ. Things like rude Christian or harsh Christian, I feel like that should be an oxymoron. Those should not be character qualities that define us as Christians. We are called by God to be peaceable and considerate and gentle. And just think of how that plays out in the world. And think about it for yourself. Are you characterized by harshness? The way that maybe you relate within the pattern of relating in your family. Do you talk to your wife and kids harsh? You talk to your husband in a harsh way? Do you have a reputation at work for being a hardball and one of those that's just, just always on people and being harsh? Consider, the scripture says, hey, Christians, do what is good. Be, be peaceable, considerate, and gentle. And then we get in that next section, verses 3 through 7. And it's a call for us to remember who you were before Christ and what has changed in your life. 
Remember who you were before Christ, B.C., and what has changed in your life. And look how he starts in verse 3. It says, at one time. It's a reminder, and it's a call to all of us. Hey, yeah, at one time, remember. You've been a Christian for a long time. Remember, you too may have struggled with that before. You too may have struggled with that before. You may have been one of those. At one time was a reference to the past. And he says at one time what? We too were what? And he gives us the list here. It says what we once were here in verse 3. Because remember, Romans 3.23 says we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have our thing that we struggled with. The life of sinfulness before we came to Christ Jesus. And he's reminding them here what they once were before Christ. We were foolish. He starts out by saying, at one time, we too were foolish. We had foolish behaviors before Christ. Um, some of us, sometimes if we think back to the way we behaved before we came to Christ, I mean, it's head shaker stuff, right? Let's be honest. Some stuff that we're kind of ashamed. I can't believe I used to talk like that. I can't usually act like that. I can't believe I used to be so dishonest in this area. And I can't believe I ever did this. And, you know, it's that head shaking kind of stuff. Maybe you were a hothead. Maybe you were mouthy. Or maybe you just took some behavioral risks that you know are not God-honoring. Maybe you took matters into your own hands and said, hey, I'm going to live by my set of rules here. I'm going to live life the way I want to. And you've suffered the consequences of those choices over time. But it's a reminder that we too are foolish. It goes on, the next thing it says, that we were also disobedient to God. Remember that we once were also disobedient to God. Some of us, we know the right thing to do. I mean, reasonably, come on, people. Reasonably, for the most part, we know what is right, and we know what is good. Some of us know what is right and good and rebel against God by being totally defiant to what he asked us to do. And some of us, we know and we do not do. It's not that we're rebellious about it. It's like we'd amen it. We'd talk about it in our group. I mean, we're like, yeah, yeah. And we'll even post about it in the Bible app. But when it comes to living it out, we just, we just don't do it. I mean, I'm not rebelling against it. I'm not even saying I don't thumbs up it. If I saw it on Facebook, I'm just like, hey, that's great. But it's not. It's not that. It's the fact that we're disobedient because we do not do what God has called us to do. You remember the uh, end of the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew chapter 7, the sermon ever preached by Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, the Son of God. Do you remember how the sermon ends? Illustration. There was a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And there was a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. What was the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? Simply put in the text, it says the difference was what they did and what they did not do. It was 100% about their choices and their decisions. Did they choose to yield their will and their life to God and live by his ways, or did they not? Do you want your house to be built on a foundation that is strong and the cornerstone of Christ Jesus our Lord, the rock? Or do you want it to be built on shifting sand? But we are disobedient to God. Next thing it says is that we were deceived. We were deceived we got to remember, the Bible says the devil is a liar and he is a deceiver. And he, he wants to confuse people. He wants to make sure that that sinful pattern that looks good to you and seems nice for a season really messes up your life. And really gets you in a place where you are at odds with God Almighty. 
It helps me sometimes to see people in that light. You know, maybe someone is, is just caught in this egregious sin pattern, or maybe they're just really struggling, or maybe they're even like sinning against me, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, man, I'm, I don't like this at all. But sometimes it really helps me to see them. Hey, they're duped. They're buying the lie of the deceiver. The devil has them in a place where they are deceived, where they think, well, I'm doing this, I can still be a Christian and still be a jerk. It's like, well, I guess maybe you can, but is that what God requires? Is that what God wants? And is that what's best for your life? We were deceived. Remember some of those outside of the body of Christ. When you see them and you're frustrated with how they relate at work or what they're doing at your school or what they're doing on the soccer field, just remember, they're deceived. They're outside of Christ. Then the next part he says there, he shares that we are enslaved by all types of worldly passions and pleasures. We, are, we were enslaved. This is who we were before. We were enslaved by all types of worldly passions and pleasures. Notice there, it doesn't say we were tempted by all types of worldly passions and pleasures. It doesn't say tempted. It says we were enslaved. It gives us this idea that we were bonded to these things. We became bond servants to these things. And for some of us, if we're being honest, some of those old things still haunt us today. But it's a reminder, again, of who we once were there in verse 3. And then it ends there in verse 3 this way. He says, we were full of malice and envy and hatred. Hatred even for ourselves, for one another. It, it's, as, it's as if Paul is saying here in verse 3, like his main point of all these things is, hey, don't be too critical of your pagan neighbors because that used to be you. We were all too once lost. And needed the opportunity to be found. I know how it is to live. We're frustrated with people sometimes. But just remember these things that we too once had this life before Christ, before he changed our life. And if you're like, hey, I still practice these things. <laughs> then Christ hasn't sanctified you. Or maybe you have not made him Lord. And then after that, after he reminds them in verse 3 of what we once were, he then gets in this beautiful gospel presentation of what God did. In verses 4 through 7, let's just, let's just read that. It says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done. It wasn't like we were good and then we accepted Christ. It's like we were lost and then we accepted Christ. And then he says he saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, why? Why did he do that? So that, having been justified, made right before God, by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Man, do we need hope in this world? I mean, as the world goes on, I, mean, I hate watching the news. It is just darkness. And it seems like the world is so lost and spinning out, and it just seems like it's getting worse, and it's getting worse, and it's getting worse. But it's a reminder here in this text about what God did. First thing is it says that God saved us. Where did he do this from? A place of kindness and love. Because he loves us, he offers us that gift of grace through his son, Jesus Christ. God saved us. And then, not only that, but for those of us that accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, 
God gives us the Holy Spirit. And it says there in the text that the Holy Spirit renews and rebuilds us. The Gospel of John calls the Holy Spirit the Comforter, but also the Counselor. And I will tell you, you will not have any more wise counsel in your life than you'll ever have from God's Holy Spirit. And some of you know exactly what that is, because as you go through your life, and you pray, and you're in the Word, and your mind is set on things above and not on earthly things, and you are more in step with the Spirit, you feel convicted of things. It's weird. The longer I'm a Christian, the more I feel convicted of things that didn't bother me before. I get in situations or I'll say something or do that. I'm like, man, oh, man, that's, that's terrible. The thing about the Holy Spirit, too, is there's Holy Spirit power in the life of a believer. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, some of the last words that Jesus speaks to the disciples, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, because the Holy Spirit had not come to them at that time, and he tells the disciples there, when, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses and you will have power from this Holy Spirit that is going to be living in you and in the life and in the heart of believers. That word power there, I was like, what is the word power there in the Greek? It's a word dunamis, except in the Greek it's a D-Y-N. Dunamis, it actually means power. It's where we get our word dynamite. It means like explosive Heavy-duty, heavy-loading power. It's a moral power of excellence of the soul. It is the power of positive influence. God gave us that spirit. And if you're a Christian, he lives in you. And then at the end there, it says that God gave us the hope of eternal life. He says there at the end of verse 7, having the hope of eternal life in a world that needs hope like no other time that I can remember we have a hope of eternal life with Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says it this way, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's pretty simple. Do you have Jesus Christ in your life? And have you given your life, your heart, and have you pledged your future in everything you say and do and how you live, how you relate to the world, have you given that willingly to Christ Jesus? It's the most important decision that you will ever make. And it's a reminder here to these Christians that Titus has been given charge over to remember who you were before Christ. Remember what has changed in your life. Remember who you once were, foolish, all of those things. But remember what God did. And then he ends it with, with this in, in, in verse 8. He says, this is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. We need to live the difference by devotion to doing good, by actually being devoted to doing what is good. Notice what Paul said there in verse 8. He said to stress these things. So that believers will be careful to devote themselves. That word stress means to affirm strongly and to assert confidently. We need to assert it confidently. 
We need to affirm it strongly, stress these things. Why? Why? Because it doesn't come easy. Doing the next right thing and doing what is good and having your life reflect Christ, it, it never says in Scripture, oh, that will be easy. The, the Apostle Paul that wrote this letter to Titus, if you read in Romans chapter 7 as he's written that letter to Roman Christians, Christians in Rome at that time, there in chapter 7, he gives this dialogue. This, it's this cycle of dialogue. And he says, hey, the good stuff that I want to do, I know God has called me to do, and inside my heart, I really want to do those things. I don't do them. And the bad stuff that I want to get rid of in my life, I keep doing those things. And he goes back and forth in seven, and if you read it, it's like, wow, is he going crazy? Is he having a psychotic episode? Like, does, does he need some help here? Because he's going back and forth, and he ends all this dialogue about the good things I don't do and the bad things I keep doing, and he ends it with, what a wretch of a man I am. Who can save me from this life of sin? He, it's like he just cries out. I picture that he, he's yelling that as he's writing. as like, who can save me from this life of sin? And then there's a pause. And then the next word is thanks. Weird transition, but he says, thanks be to God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because of him and his sacrifice on the cross, and because of who he is, I can live a new life in Christ Jesus. And it's a wonderful reminder to us to live the difference. But if you really want to get serious about your faith and living the difference, you have to devote yourself. It says right there, to devote themselves to doing what is good. There it is again. It said, ready to do whatever is good in verse 1. And in verse 8, it says, devote themselves to doing what is good. What is up with all this goodness that Christians are supposed to have? Here it is. The only evidence the unsaved world has that we belong to Jesus is how we live our lives. That's the only evidence that demands a verdict. That's the only evidence they have. And then you get to the last part of verse 8. And look what he ends it with. He says, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Excellent. And all these things are good for the Christian and good for the non-Christian. Why? Because non-Christians are blessed by Christians that do what is good. If you could simplify it down, that's what I, that's what I would say to you. Is just do, do good. Do the, rex, do the next right thing. Do what is good. Why do you keep doing what is bad? You don't represent Christ well. You're hurting your witness. You're not operating in the Holy Spirit's power, which he died for to give you, to put into your life and in your heart. See, all the listing of all the things and all the reminders in here in our text today of who you were and who you can be and what God has done can be summarized quite simply in that. Christians, do what is good. Just do what is good. Be a good example for people. Show the love of Christ through your goodness and your righteousness. There's a Christian symbol that we wear a lot of times. You see it in jewelry, jewelry a lot. It's the cross. I've always thought that's very, very interesting as Christians. It's like we, we wear the cross. Right? It reminds us, right, of Jesus. The sacrifice that Jesus made for us is reminded. It's, it's, it's a symbol of that for us, this, this cross. 
What's interesting is how many times I see people, especially maybe on, in, in the media or on TV, where they have the cross, but they're not doing what is good. <laughs> they have the cross and they're sitting in the hot tub and they're fornicating with everyone in the hot tub. Or they have the cross and they're cussing up a storm in their interview while they have the cross. And some people, just by the way they dress, you're like, oh, <laughs> you're wearing a cross and wearing that. It's always interesting to me because I'm like, maybe if it meant something different, because it's kind of, I'll just be honest with you, I think it's kind of weird to wear a cross. You would say, no, 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 it represents Jesus Christ. I'm thinking, dude, if we're going to represent Jesus Christ, let's wear empty tombs. Okay, because he didn't stay on the cross. He overcame the cross. He overcame pain and death and sorrow and sin by rising again. We should have empty tombs, like, you know, a little rock next to an O. But then I thought about it. I was like, that's kind of weird to put in a jewelry and, you know, little empty tomb earrings. I don't know. So I'll let that go. But here's the thing. What is the cross? The cross was an execution device. So let's bring that into today. It'd be like we have electric chair necklaces and earrings that we wear. That'd be kind of weird, right? But it's not to us. Why? Because there's power in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder to us when we see that cross, whether it's in jewelry or illuminated over our baptistry, or you see it on a billboard or a sign, or you see it on a church, is when we see that cross, we think of the sacrifice of Jesus. And hopefully when you see that, it reminds you of who Christ is and what he has done for you, and it reminds you of who you are. It's an identity thing. You don't just act like a Christian, you are a Christian. It's not just a label, it's your being. And you are identified in Christ Jesus. Your whole identity is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And so all the call of all the text today is to go out and to live a life that represents your Savior, that sacrifice, well. And you can do that with the Holy Spirit's help. And think of what our world would be like if Christians actually lived these things out that we talked about today. And if you want the simple summary of it, folks, about, oh, I can't remember all the things, just do what is good. Do the next right thing. And watch how God can use that to make a difference, not only in your life, your life's gonna be great, but maybe it'll touch the life of someone else for the gospel for the kingdom.